Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But he puts not only himself, he puts his betrothed wife, he puts her family in jeopardy. Notice that not only did he defile himself, but he also defiled his parents by giving them the honey out of the beast. And sin is like that, isn't it? It not only affects us, but everyone in our sphere of influence, they are affected. It's, it's like leaven. Leaven spread, it spreads, it's, it's yeast and dough. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today we learn how Samson's sin begins to affect everyone around him. Without the knowledge of Samson's experience with the lion, his riddle was unsolvable. Realizing this, the young men who were given the riddle knew without the key to the riddle they would be forced to purchase the costly garments for Samson that he posed in the deal. So they extorted his Philistine wife to extract the information. In the end, under the pressure of her nagging, Samson relented. As a result, we see Samson's sin of breaking his Nazarite vow begins to involve others. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's study. It's a wonderful life, Mary. It's a wonderful life. But when we are disobedient, the Lord chastens He chastens those whom he loves. And do you think that a father loves to do that? No father loves to do that. It's the least thing that I like to do. I'd much rather be sick in bed than to have to discipline my daughter. But you have to do it, don't we? And God does it to us as well. I love what it says in Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Did Solomon, did he despise wisdom and instruction? He did, didn't he? Because the Lord had put a vow on him. He knew very well what that vow, what it entailed and what was required of him. And he didn't really care about it. He just kind of was footloose and fancy free. In Proverbs 15, verse 33, I love this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And I love this part. And before honor is humility. Humility. Samson's character, unfortunately, was not one that exemplified humility. He was a man, and he was strong when the Lord came upon him. And I'm sure even in the natural, he was probably pretty strong. And when the Lord came upon him, the Lord gave him this wonderful gift to to really be just like the Incredible Hulk. And the Bible says that the gift and the callings of God are without repentance. That means when a God gives a gift to an individual, when you are in the womb, God outfitted you. He already had a plan for your life. He already knew what he was going to do. He knew the gifts that you were going to have, and he placed them there in your soul by design. 
And as you begin to grow and blossom and as you get to know him, you, you begin to understand those things. You see the gifts working in your life. And what a treasure, what a blessing it is to, for the believer to know the gifts that God has given you. Because then you can actually, once you know that you have that gift, then you start using it as often as the Lord leads you. And be excited and happy about it. And don't covet somebody else's gift. Because not everybody has all the gifts. So Samson, unfortunately, was not one of those people who demonstrated humility. I used to know a, a, a young man, because I was a young man at the time, younger man. I'm still a young man, aren't I? <laughs> uh, knew, knew a man in college that if I could, if I thought, if I thought of anybody that I knew that was like a Samson, this, this gentleman was just like Samson. He was very loud, very boisterous, very confident of himself. Good-looking guy. All the ladies loved him. And he was very promiscuous. He was very gifted. One of the most gifted men I've ever known. I, I mean, this guy could do everything. No kidding. He was just one of those individuals. It just seemed like the Lord just touched him with everything. And he, he recently passed away. He was like, uh, I think, 49, maybe 51 years old, tragically. But he was one of these individuals that I believe was like Samson. I wish I didn't have to say that, but, it, but I believe it's true because I knew him for four years. But that's the way Samson was. Notice in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, it says that if you can solve the riddle for me in these seven days of the feast, he's, notice what he said to them, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Notice these are two separate things. Notice, underline them, 30 linen garments and... 30 changes of clothing. Clothing, as you know, was a way that they would barter in those days. Sometimes you could be paid in clothing. Sometimes something of value, something of value, much of the time, was clothing. It wasn't something where you could just go and get it so easily at Kohl's or Nordstrom or Lord & Taylor or something. Or, you know, you, they didn't have that kind of thing. So clothing was expensive. And to have several sets of clothing, wow, that's really something. So when he's making this riddle and putting this, this, uh, these 30 changes of linen and 30 changes of clothing on the line, really what he's doing is gambling, isn't he? Do you see that? Because that's literally what gambling means. I actually looked it up in the dictionary just to make sure that my mind was on straight. It, it says, uh, uh, gambling is to play games of chance for money or to take risky action in the hope of a desired result. And isn't that exactly what Sol or Samson is doing here? He's taking a chance. One of us is going to get it. And he's playing this game. He might as well have been at the roulette table. What does this say about a character? Is gambling wrong? I believe it is, because you're hoping on things that you don't have. What does James say in chapter 4 of his letter? He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time, and certainly Samson was not an old man. He was a young man in his prime, and what is he doing? His life was a vapor, but now he's playing with it. He's, he's gambling. He's, he's promiscuous. He doesn't have any fear of the Lord at all violating all of the vows that he had taken. But what does it say in James? Your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and it vanishes away. It sounds like his life. 
It was for a short time, and it was snuffed out. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And this is where Samson was. This is where he was. But he says in verse 13, but if you cannot explain it to me, he says this to the 30 men that were given to him of the Philistines in this seven-day party, wedding party. If you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And I make that distinction for a reason, because later on we're going to see something. And they said to him, notice, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater, and here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, remember Samson's wife was a Philistine herself, right? They said, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, that you may, or that he may explain the riddle to us, or else what? We will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So here they they extort her. Do you see this? This is extortion. Notice again that Samson's sin and his sport have not only affected him, but it's also affected his betrothed wife, his Gentile wife. It's, it's uh, affected her and her whole family now are in jeopardy because of this silly little thing that he did. Had he not gone in the vineyard, had he not, he probably wouldn't have encountered the lion. But now that he had, and he, he's taken the honey from, the, from the, the body of the thing, which is a total mess... And now he has to pose this riddle based on his sin. He kind of makes light of his sin. Have you met somebody who just kind of played, you know, they're just one of these people where, oh, God's a God of grace. It's okay. I know I'm married. You know, I, I mean, I only have three other ladies on the side. That's not a big deal. I'm not like Samson or I'm not like Solomon who had a thousand. I mean, I only have 300. I mean, what's the problem with that? Oh, there's a lot of problem with that. But he puts not only himself, he puts his betrothed wife. He puts her family in jeopardy. Notice that not only did he defile himself, but he also defiled his parents by giving them the honey out of the beast. And sin is like that, isn't it? It not only affects us, but everyone in our sphere of influence, they are affected. It's, it's like leaven. Leaven spread. It spreads. It's, it's yeast and dough. Ladies, you know what that's all about. It's like cancer. It spreads. It metastasizes. It goes other places. It doesn't just stay local. You wish it would, because then you just cut it out and be done with it. And it's like leprosy. Sin has collateral damage. It affects you. If you're involved in sin, especially a, 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 an ingrained sin, a habitual sin, believe me, you may not think so, but it affects everyone around you, because no longer are you a light. You're a very shaded light. It's like a lamp. A lamp, uh, uh, it's like putting a blanket over a lamp that should be burning brightly. God wants to use each of us to encourage one another. But if I'm walking in sin, I'm, I'm tarnishing that light. And pretty soon, I, I, have no, I have no value to the body of Christ anymore. Do you see how that works? Sin has collateral damage, and, and it's a sin of omission. I can commit sin, but there's also sins of omission where things that I should be doing, I'm not doing because I'm involved in sin. That's a sin of omission, and and many people are guilty of that. I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. It's not just what we commit, it's what we should be doing that we're not doing. Right? 
And sin is never content with being solo. It wants lots of companions, as many as possible. Notice verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. I can almost hear her voice. You don't love me. You've posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? This is very interesting. Underline the word love. Because in the Greek, we know there are at least four words that um, our English word is translated love. Right? And in the Hebrew, this word love actually has a sexual connotation to it. And remember, this is their wedding. The seventh day of that wedding is when they would normally consummate the marriage. Right? And so she is saying, you don't really love me. You don't really want me. And Samson, to hear those words, a very sensual man. I'm sure the whole reason he saw her to begin with. Remember, he saw her, so he's like looking at her and his eyes are bulging out of his head. Right? So she must have been a real knockout. So I'm sure he's looking forward to that seventh day. As most newlyweds do. And there's nothing wrong with that in the Lord, right? But notice, she says, you don't love me because you're not explaining to me the, the riddle. And, and so he says, well, I haven't told anybody. You know, and I can't help but think if she's just manipulating him. Of course she is, right? She's manipulating him because now she's been told by these 30 men, these 30 other Philistines, that if you don't get him to confess what the riddle is, we're going to kill you and your family. So now she's extorted. Now she's fearing for her life. She'll do anything, wouldn't you? So now she's talking to him and talking to him on a level he can understand because he's a man who's got his eyes, unfortunately, in front of everything else. So he obviously had a weakness for women. And not only this, but we'll see this in chapter 16, either next week or the following. We see this also in Delilah because Delilah was his next conquest. And, you know, it's interesting that many people have buttons, If you're married long enough, you know the buttons that each of you have. You know what buttons to push on your husband or your wife. Just you know, if you really want to set them on edge, you know you've got like a palette you can pull out and say, "Boy, I really made me mad today. I'm going to pull this one out of the bag just because." Have you ever done that? We've all done it, right? So this was one of Samson's buttons, and he caved. Because she pressed him. Notice that. And it happened, notice, that she wept on him, verse 17, uh, for seven days and while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day when they were supposed to consummate their marriage, right? On the seventh day that he told her finally because, notice, she pressed him. Underline that word pressed. She pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so um, let me read something to you. This word pressed literally means to be in distress. It means constraining. It means you are just pressed sore. It is really, you're in a strait. And it's the exact same word that we see over in Judges chapter 16. We're going to get there in a week or so when we look at Delilah. Let me just read to you what it says when, when Samson finally goes into Delilah. What does it say? She came, it came to pass that she, Delilah, she pestered him. Now, this is not his wife. Okay, we'll, we'll get to her in a minute. But this is after his hopes of marrying this woman have been dashed. He goes to another woman, another Philistine woman. 
that she, verse 16, so Judges 16, verse 16, she pestered him. Under, you know, if you just flip over one page and, and underline the word pestered, it's the same exact word. She pestered him and she pressed him daily. She pestered him with her words and pressed him. There it is again. So that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart. It's the same exact word that we're looking at here in verse 17, that she pressed him. This woman pressed him. Sore. She henpecked him. <laughs> she, she really went after him. So verse 18, So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, they said to him, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And right then the cat was out of the bag. Pun intended. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. And basically what Samson is doing here is really ridiculing his wife for, um, for caving into these guys. But she didn't, he didn't know that these men were going to kill her if, they didn't tell, if she didn't tell them the riddle, the solve of the riddle. And so Samson here is calling, in a sense, if you had not plowed with my heifer. For one thing, a heifer doesn't really plow. A heifer will often uh, grind grain on a wheel, you know, something like that. But when, when you're in a field plowing, it's always the big oxen. They're always yoked together, right? They're yoked together. Two strong oxes of the same caliber are out in the field, but a heifer doesn't plow, so he's insinuating not only that his wife, she was in, in, the, in deceit and deceptive in this whole thing, but he's also implying that they had done this by deceit themselves, that they somehow uh, worked this out between them and his wife to deceive him. And Samson wasn't able to bridle his tongue. This is another indicator, another strong indicator, another unfortunate indicator. A person who can control his or her mouth will often have control over the rest of their body. What does James say? We know this very well. In James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, let me just read it to you. You can write the reference down. James 3, verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue, what, is a little member and boasts great things. How great a forest a little fire kindles. And so Samson was, again, he... He didn't have control over his mouth. He's always running in his mouth. That's probably what got him into a lot of the trouble. No self-control. And, and usually somebody who is, doesn't have control over the mouth generally doesn't have control over anything else either. So, verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord, notice, by grace... I almost wonder if the Holy if they, they should have just put there, you know, the scribe should have just put... Uh, then the Spirit of the Lord, by grace came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, and he took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back to his father's house. So uh, first off, let's look at the word Ashkelon. That's, that's a, a town right on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean. It was a Philistine city. It was one of the big five Philistine cities. The other ones were Ashdod, Gaza, and Gath and Ekron. It's about 23 miles south of Timnah, southwest of Timnah, again along the coast. 
But notice, he, he went down to Ashkelon to another Philistine city. He killed 30 men. Why? Because he lost his bet. Now he's got to come up with the clothing, which he didn't have to begin with. So he goes down and he kills these men. And it doesn't appear that he gave them everything either. Did you notice up above in, in, in the verses above, in, in the 13th verse, it says that he said to them, those 30 men, those Philistines, he said, if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30, that's what was on the line here, was 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. It's interesting that even in Samson's sin and compromise, God would use him to bring about judgment upon the Philistines. And notice, he didn't even follow through with what he was supposed to. He gave them the 30 changes of clothes, but it doesn't mention anything about the 30 changes of linen. So not, not only was he a, had a loud mouth and didn't have control over himself, but he wasn't a man of his word either. He was supposed to provide 30 garments of the 30 lint pieces of linen and the 30 changes of clothing. All he gives them is the 30 changes of clothing. So not even a man of his word either. Sounds like a really nice guy. And yet, God in his grace, for some reason, saw Samson. And the Bible says, in the very last verse, it says that in these times, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so God is looking for any man. And he saw something in Solomon, or I keep calling him Solomon. He saw something in Samson that was, that was, there was something there that God could work with. And God was going to work out his will, even in spite of this man's compromise and his sin and his rebellion. God was still going to use him. And to me, that's the mystery that why God even uses me. Why does he, why does he use you? You know, we, we, may, we may not have sins that are out on our sleeves like, like, like Samson did. I mean, all of his sins were out for everyone to see. Your sins may be internal, things that nobody knows. But you and God. But God knows. We can't fool him. But notice the grace of God that he would use a man even in his compromise to accomplish God's will. Now, what was God's will? God was going to bring judgment upon the Philistines. And why? Is God a racist? I've often heard that. Is God a racist? No, he's not a racist. Well, why did he pick on the Philistines? Why did he drive out the Canaanites? Well, it's a long story. You want to sit down and we'll talk? But actually, it's quite simple. It's about sin. God doesn't look at color of skin. He doesn't look at nationality. What he does look at is the heart. That's all God is concerned about is your and my heart. He could care less about anything else. Why? Because we're all created in his image. There's one blood. We all came from Adam. We all came from Noah because Noah's sons and, his, and their wives populated the earth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All of us in this room come from one of those three. Do you know that? One blood. And within that DNA strain, there's enough variability to cover every different color of skin, every different uh, thing that we have, all the different characteristics. And does that surprise you that there is such a wonderful God like that? He does that. Within the fish, you know, within fishes, you know, he's, he's got so many different varieties, but they're all the same. They're all fish, but they're, they're so many different. There's, there's a big difference between a hammerhead and angelfish. There's a big difference between a great white shark and a goldfish. There's a lot of variability between us. And God sees one. He doesn't see many. You're all from one blood. The sooner America gets their eyes off of all this stuff that's going on right now and realize that we're one blood, the better off we will all be. But guess what? There's sin in every single person. 
I digress. But notice, Samson's wife, verse 20. So Samson doesn't even consummate the marriage. He's, he's angry. So now he, he goes down, he loses the bet, he goes down to Ashkelon, kills the men, doesn't even follow through on his... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.